Romans chapter 10. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. Truly, it is a light to our path. Lord, we are living in a world of darkness, deception, and certainly uh, we can be influenced by that and deceived ourselves and ignorant of your your best for us, Lord. And so, Lord, that more and more we would have a hunger for your word to dig deeply into your word, value it like like gold, as your Proverbs say, the wise man will search for it like hidden treasure and value it. And then wisdom will come to those who diligently seek for the truth. And we pray, Lord, this morning that as we we open your word, Lord, that we would be diligent as hearers to um, put aside every distraction and to just open up to the, the ministry of the Holy Spirit to teach us the deep things of God. We just commit this time to you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So Romans 10, brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. So we see Paul praying for Israel. He says, brethren, my, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. <coughs> so here's a scripture verse that really encourages us to pray for the lost, right? Paul's praying for Israel that they may be saved. Now we're coming out of chapter 9 that talks a lot about, or not a lot, but some about predestination, election. These can be controversial subjects, a lot of confusion surrounding these things. But <clears throat> we always have to reconcile predestination with man's responsibility, right? free choice. And we certainly see that in this chapter. Um, Paul praying for Israel and giving reasons why they've been excluded from the new covenant. And <clears throat> in fact, let's jump back into chapter nine and kind of read the, the last part and it'll help us as we, uh, move into chapter 10 to under, understand the flow. So let's jump back to Romans 9, verse 30. What shall we say then? That Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained to righteousness, even the righteousness of faith. 
But Israel pursuing the law of righteousness has not attained to the law of righteousness. Why? Because they did not seek it by faith, but as it were, by the works of the law. For they stumbled at the stumbling stone. As it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone and a rock of offense, and whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. So it tells us why Israel did not attain to righteousness. Verse 32, it says why? Because they did not seek it by faith, but as it were by the works of the law. So it's it's not because God chose some to go to hell and some to go to heaven, and he said, oh, I, I choose... Uh, for them not to go to heaven. He's saying the reason is they did not seek the will of God by faith. They did not seek salvation by faith, but by the works of the law. Therefore, they're excluded from salvation. And so Paul praying for them, uh, chapter 10, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel that they may be saved. So praying for Israel, even even though they were persecuting him, the Jews were persecuting Paul, his heart's desire and prayer for them was that they might be saved. So just an encouragement to us to pray for the lost, that do we have a desire to see those around us saved? Are we praying for those around us that are unsaved? It's very important we do that. And we know Paul's heart was so much toward the Jews, the, his, his brethren, that they would be saved. And in fact, in chapter 9, he says, I wish that I myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren. In other words, he'd be willing to give up his salvation to see them saved. That's how much he loved them. So then verse 2, he says, <clears throat> I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. So Paul, of course, was a perfect example of this before his conversion. Paul had an incredible zeal for God, but it wasn't according to knowledge, right? He was chasing Christians down and killing them. <clears throat> so he wasn't a kind of religious person who was passive. Uh, he was very engaged. He felt like he was working for God by killing Christians and trying to stamp out this this new religion of Christianity. But clearly his zeal was not according to knowledge. So zeal is good, but we, we need to have knowledge with, with our zeal. Uh, now, you can look at someone who has zeal and, and maybe even Bible knowledge, like Paul, again, he had zeal. You, you wouldn't say Paul didn't have Bible knowledge. He knew the, the Old Testament inside and out. But it wasn't the knowledge that God wanted him to have, you know, that heart knowledge of faith. And we're going to get into this more, and, and, and Paul's going to define what he means by uh, the fact that they did not have knowledge. But, you know, we probably all know people who have zeal without knowledge. Uh, maybe they're very excited about their religion but they're confused about who christ is zeal without knowledge so having the right knowledge of how to interact with god uh, is important uh, how do we come to god initially for salvation right you have to come 
and acknowledge you're a sinner, you need a savior, believe that Jesus died on the cross for you. Uh, that's the knowledge Paul's talking about here. Uh, understanding the gospel, exercising faith in Christ. But we can also see Christians who have zeal but no knowledge. And they're struggling in their faith and they're burning out and they're discouraged because they haven't learned how to walk in faith, how to walk with God. They have zeal but no knowledge. And again, even Christians who have Bible knowledge but don't understand how to attain to the righteousness of God, how to walk in the righteousness of God by faith. So they're, they have a zeal without knowledge. And then verse three, he says, for they, for they being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness have not submitted to the righteousness of God. So Paul pressing it even harder. I mean, really being even more offensive. He's saying, you guys, you don't, you have zeal, but you don't have knowledge and you're ignorant of God's righteousness. I mean, that's never a compliment to say you're ignorant to somebody, you know? And so, but Paul's just trying to speak the truth here. He's saying you have knowledge of God in the sense, you know, the old Testament, but you're ignorant of God's righteousness because you're trying to establish your own righteousness, not submitting to the righteousness of God. So God has a way that he provides righteousness to us, right? And it's always by faith. But if you think you can attain to God's righteousness through good works, then you're ignorant of God's righteousness. It's kind of like when you witness to somebody and, you know, you might ask them kind of a leading question. Like if you were to die today and stand before God, what would you say? Why should he let you into heaven? What do most people say? Well, I've been a good person. My good deeds have outweighed my bad deeds. Uh, I'm, you know, there's a lot of people worse than I am. And so they're ignorant of God's righteousness. You know that right away. So then you share the gospel with them. Oh, no, the Bible says there's none righteous. No, not one. None of us can stand before God based on our, our good works. You need a savior. You, you need forgiveness. So many are, are ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness, not submitting to the righteousness of God. And then verse four, he defines it even further. He says, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. So this is the point to experience the righteousness of God. You have to be Christ centered and have a faith mindset. So this is how we would try to lead somebody to salvation. We would point them to Jesus Christ and the cross and say, you need to repent of your sins. You need to believe on Jesus, that he died for your sins. He rose from the dead. And you need to exercise faith in him. So you, this is how you submit to the righteousness of God. So Christ is the end of the law for righteousness. What does that mean? Well, he's not saying we throw the law out. The law is no longer relevant to us as, as believers. The, the law is still our, our standard, right? But the law doesn't give us power to live righteously. It's, it's the standard that shows us how, how far short we fall and so 
there can be sometimes misunderstanding about that. Christ is the end of the law for righteousness. The law does not bring us righteousness. It measures our righteousness, but it doesn't bring us righteousness. Christ is the one who brings us righteousness. Faith in Christ brings us righteousness. And again, so you think about the law. We still experience the consequences of the law, right? As Christians, we can't say, oh, well, we're not under the law anymore. Well, if you, you know, steal something and you're caught, you're going to be feel the consequences of, of that sin, right? You're going to go to jail or pay a fine for your you know, speeding ticket. So there are consequences for breaking the law. So we want to see more and more righteousness in our lives so that we're not breaking God's law and then feeling those consequences, right? I mean, forgiveness is there, but we all want to attain to more and more righteousness in our life as we walk with God. But to get to that place of righteousness, it's not through, you know, trying harder or works it's through believing in christ so it's christ-centered living that we're we're trying to see more and more in our lives christ is the end of the law for righteousness so we think of it like righteousness is our goal how do i get there hopefully that in, in all of our lives righteousness is is a goal i'm not talking about for salvation right once we come to Jesus, he declares us not guilty and righteous before him, but now we have to walk in this world, right, and, and learn to overcome sin. So how do we attain to that righteousness, that goal that we have out there of, uh, of righteousness? Well, Christ is the one who can take us there as we learn to receive his righteousness and power. So Christ is the end of the law for righteousness. That's a great verse to, to memorize. Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. So it's faith in Christ. Faith in Christ. Now we think about righteousness. Remember that verse in the uh, Sermon on the Mount where Jesus said, Blessed are they who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. So that should be a part of our lives, that we're, we're hungering for righteousness. We're thirsting for righteousness. And Jesus is the one who said, if any man is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. So righteousness is an important aspect of our lives, and Christ is the answer for that righteousness. And then verse 5, Moses, for Moses writes about the righteousness which is of the law, the man who does those things shall live by them. But the righteousness of faith speaks in this way. We'll read that in a minute. But there's a contrast here we're seeing. As Paul's laying out this gospel of faith, he's contrasting Moses to faith in Christ, the law of Moses to faith in Christ. Remember in uh, the gospel of John, says that the law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So there's this contrast so often in Scripture between the law and the grace of Jesus Christ. 
So Moses writes about the righteousness which is of the law. So there is a righteousness which is of the law. And what is it? It says, the man who does those things shall live by them. In other words, okay, if you're going to go the path of being justified by the law, of walking with God according to the law as your source and your measurement, then you just keep the law. Just keep it. And if you keep it, then you'll live. You'll have life. You'll have blessing. And, you know, there are, there are some people who, even Christians I've heard say, you know, I, I don't know why you all complicate things so much. You know, just, just live righteously. Just do the right thing. And maybe you've never heard anybody say that. I've, I've heard a couple different people say that. It's like, it's almost like they're, they're so much under the law, they don't understand walking by faith in, in Jesus Christ. And that's that kind of attitude. Look, if you just, just do the right thing. Just live righteously. You're almost as if you're looking to your own strength to live for God. And that's, that's kind of the, what's being said here. The righteousness, which is of the law, the man who does them, does those things, just shall live by them. So if that's the way you want to live, good luck, man. That's, that's a tough that's a tough way to live. But then he contrasts. He says, the righteousness of faith speaks in this way. Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down from above, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth, and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So you have this pretty extensive definition, really, of faith, what it means to walk with God by faith. Compared to the law, it's just saying, well, just do the right thing and, and you'll be blessed. Problem is we don't all do the right thing. And, you know, this is what Paul discovered in Romans 7 as a, as a believer. He kind of brought in his Phariseeism into his Christianity. That was his only frame of reference. And he began to try to live for God as a Christian in his own strength and began to come to the end of, uh, end of himself and said, wretched man that I am, who will save me from this body of death? And Paul learned that he, he could not live by his own strength. He could not live by his own righteousness and began to learn then to walk in the spirit. But see, the righteousness of faith, and that's, that's a beautiful phrase, to, to think that faith in Christ brings righteousness in our life. You know, that righteousness that we hunger and thirst for, it comes through faith in Christ. The power to live a righteous life 
comes through faith in Christ. It's the righteousness of faith. And, and Paul is explaining this to the first century world. It's a, it's a whole change of thinking from, you know, the Jews just being under the law and, and trying to do their best to please God under the law to say, no, our focus is now on Jesus Christ and faith in him and walking with him. So the righteousness of faith speaks in this way. So it says, do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven. That is to bring Christ down. So faith is saying something. It's saying, don't think like this or don't say this in your heart. Don't say who will ascend to heaven to bring Christ down from above. Or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. So if your way of thinking is, I feel so far from God, I'm not sure how to, how to get close to God, how, how could I possibly you know, ascend to heaven to reach God? I think what is being said here is faith says, oh no, the Lord is right here with me. Christ already came down from heaven. Christ already died and rose from the dead. The work is already done. So quit acting like the work isn't done. That That's what I, I believe is being said here. And, you know, I, I've mentioned this before, and maybe you don't agree with me, but I think sometimes when we, we sing songs like, Lord, send your spirit now. Uh, and I'm not being critical of people. I actually wrote a song once that before I really understood grace, you know, pour out your spirit, Lord. Um, but hasn't he already done that? Hasn't he already poured out his spirit? So we're asking him for something. I mean, would we sing, uh, God, send your son, please send your son into the world. We'd be like, Hey, you didn't hear he already came. And I, sometimes I feel like that with you're singing, Lord, send your spirit, send your spirit. And like, Hey, you know, you know, he already came right. 2000 years ago. That's why Jesus died. So the Holy Spirit could come. But we, we have this mentality that's not faith-filled. That's what I think Paul is, is saying here. And it's, it's a little tricky to understand. He's saying faith doesn't speak. Faith says don't speak in this way. Don't think in this way. Don't think, you know, who's, who's going to ascend to heaven to bring Christ down? Well, he's already come down. Or who's going to, you know, who's going to do the work to die and be buried and rising? Who's going to do that work? You know, like we act like the work's not done. I mean, we do. We think like we think like the work's not done is, is probably more accurately. We know the right things to say a lot of times, but the way we think, it's not faith thinking. It's not. So, you know, Paul's saying this is what faith is about. Faith thinks in certain ways and, and faith recognizes when you have wrong thinking. And when I start thinking, oh, I feel so far from God, someday maybe I'll get close to God. I, I mean, I used to think that as a younger believer. I, I really did. I, I just thought, you know, 
I see some of these older Christians and man, they, they've just gotten to a place. They've been walking with God so long and they know the word and, and I could just sense, you know, they have the, the power and presence of the Lord upon them. And man, I just know in years to come, I'll get to that place when I'm a, a mature believer. Uh, someday I'll get there. And that was a, that's a wrong way to think. Don't think that way. Don't think you're far from God. Well, let's keep reading. It'll help us understand this more. So who will ascend to heaven? Who will descend to the abyss? But what does, it, what does faith say? Verse 8, Romans 10, verse 8. What does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth, and in your heart. So saying don't think about God as if he's way far away in heaven. Or, or that Christ hasn't died and rose again and the work's not done. Don't think that way because he's, he's near you. See, salvation for someone, and we can think of this in terms of both, you know, being saved initially, but also in walking with God as Christians. So you would, you would tell an unbeliever, you can be saved right now. Today is a day of salvation. You don't have to work up to it. All you have to do is confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God is raised from the dead and you will be saved. It's the word is near you. It's in your mouth. It's in your heart. Your heart has to believe. Your mouth has to confess and call upon the Lord as we see later in, in this passage. So you kind of really see a pattern here of certainly how to be saved, but certainly also how to walk in faith that there has to be a, a, con, a, a confession, a believing, and a calling out to the Lord. The word is near you. It's in your mouth. It's in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So I think there's sometimes misunderstanding about that verse. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart, raise from the dead, you'll be saved. So you might hear someone say, um, well, if you've accepted Jesus today, now make sure you go tell somebody because you need to confess with your mouth. And I'm thinking, so you're not saved till you confess it? Is because I mean that's what it says: confess with your mouth and believe in your heart. So it's a two-step thing. You got to believe, but you got to go tell somebody, because you won't be saved till you tell somebody. And uh, I don't think that's what it's saying. You know, I mean, I, you think about your own salvation. Like for me, I accepted Jesus. Um, you know, 17 years old. I was in my dad's restaurant cutting fish. That's where I got saved. Like, okay, Jesus, come into my heart. I'm done running from you. And he came into me. He just filled me with his spirit. And then uh, I didn't tell anybody for like three days. I was kind of in a, I was kind of in like a shock. Like, wow, this is crazy. And I remember I was uh, reading my Bible, which, of course, I never did. You know, I was a pretty wild kid. And uh, reading my Bible on the couch in our house and my brother I remember was getting ready for work 
and he was kind of run. He was late, so he's running back and forth, and he and he ran by me, and then he just stopped and looked at me, and he goes, "What are you doing?" I said, "Oh, I'm, I'm reading the Bible." Why? Yeah. Well, I I I said, I Steve, I did it. I I accepted Jesus. He's like, "No," and he ran. And he told my mom, and my mom called my grandmother, and everybody was crying, and but. But so I, I didn't even confess I was saved to somebody f- for like three days. I, kind of, I was like, I just kind of kept it to myself. So it doesn't mean I wasn't saved. I mean, clearly I was saved. But I, I think what it's saying here, confessing with your mouth the Lord Jesus. In other words, you're recognizing, you're confessing, you're acknowledging who Jesus Christ is, that he's Lord. And in, in the Roman world, they said Caesar's Lord, and for you as a Gentile Roman to say, uh, no, actually there's somebody above Caesar is Jesus. Of course, that could cost you your life. So it was a big deal to acknowledge Jesus as Lord. Or as a Jew, to acknowledge Jesus as Lord, you're saying Jesus is God. And that was also something that could get you killed. And so basically what Paul's saying there, you have to confess or acknowledge Jesus as Lord. And I think there's also the aspect here of calling upon the Lord. And we see that uh, in verse 12, whoever calls upon the name of, or verse 13, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. So there's a, there's a confession in, in the sense of, I acknowledge who you are, Jesus, and I call upon you to save me. So that's how you become saved. You know, if you're not saved here today, I, I think I know everybody. I believe everybody here is saved. Jim, are you saved? Jim, back in the back row. Ray, if you're, okay, raise your hand, Jim. Yeah, Jim's saved. <laughs> he just, yeah, that's right. So you're good. So, uh, you know, I think we're all saved here. And maybe somebody listening by, you know, the internet, um, listening to my sermon. Well, you know, think about it. Have you? Do you acknowledge who Jesus Christ is? Have, do you believe in your heart he rose from the dead? He died for your sins. And are you willing to call upon him and begin to follow him? You'll be saved. I mean, that's, it's so simple, right? But again, for us believers, I think we see principles of, of how to walk with God here, principles of faith that are very important. You know, verse 10, for with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So he's reiterating what he said in verse 9, right? He, 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 in fact, he keeps repeating the same truth over and over to, to try to get through to us, right? It's about calling upon the Lord. It's about believing in the heart. It's not about keeping the law. So, but again, our... Our target is righteousness. Our target is to fulfill the law, right? We want to live righteous lives. We just don't say, oh, well, I'm under grace, so righteousness doesn't matter. But think about your life where you're struggling with righteousness. You know, maybe think about your, you know, disciplines in your life, which are very important, right? I want to, I want to be a disciplined person. I want to be, well, that's what a disciple is, right? It's a, a disciplined disciple, I want to have righteousness in my life, you know, flooding my life and, and I, things that 
I want to see changed in my life that I'm struggling to see changed, how do I see those things changed? Well, I, I believe God's given us the answer here. He says, for with the heart one believes to righteousness. And with the mouth confession is made. And then verse 12, it says, for the same Lord is Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So said, you shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sin. So you have sin in your life. You lack a discipline in your life. I mean, I could go around and ask you to, you know, to confess what, what are you struggling with, you know, today? And you could probably share a few things with me, a few things you wouldn't want to share publicly, I'm sure. But um, we all have, a, you know, a list of things. That maybe you're struggling with lust, anger, irritation. You don't read your Bible like you should. You don't worship the Lord like you should. You don't attend church like you should. You don't pray. Is everybody's prayer life just like 100% where you want it to be? You know, just go down the list of disciplines, righteousness. That's the target I hope you have. I, I hope you have righteousness targets in your life. That's what, that's how I want to look, you know, a year from now or a week from now. That's my goal for Rick Miller right there. You know, I, I see it in my mind, but how do I get there? See, when you've been a Christian as long as I have, you've tried all the methods, you know, and you come to a point where you're like, oh, wait, it says, with the heart one believes unto righteousness. So if my target is righteousness, how am I going to get there? By believing, by calling upon the Lord. So I say, Lord, you know, I'm not in the word like I should be. That, that's a discipline that should be in my life. That's righteousness that should be in my life. And Lord, I'm, you're having this conversation with God. And I'm tired of being defeated in that area. But Lord, I've tried every method. I've made promises. I've, you know, I've tried self-discipline and I, I keep failing. But your word says for me to get unto that target of righteousness, I have to believe. So God, I'm asking you to pour your righteousness into me. And, and by the way, Lord, I believe you can do it. I, you know what I'm saying? That, that's where I think there's a really powerful connection. Like if you don't think God can get you to that righteousness target, you're not believing. I mean, you're just not. You're, you're doubting. So you have to have faith in your heart to say, yes, of course God could pour into me a desire and love for his word and a, and a discipline. And, and of course you got to cooperate with the Lord in that, right? You're desperately wanting it. So you're, you're in this struggle of, for righteousness in whatever area of your life. But you can, I, I think if you study this section, you can really see some principles of faith and righteousness that we can tap into. So you're, you're seeing, Lord, I acknowledge you are Lord of everything and you're Lord of my Bible study life. And I ask you now to help me, Jesus. I'm calling upon you, Lord. And I believe that you can do make this change in my life. And then just begin to call upon the Lord for it. What, whatever area it is, you know, maybe it's, it's lust. Lord, I, you know, pretty girl walks by and I struggle. Lord, I believe you can deliver me of that. 
Lord, I, I, I'm looking at stuff I shouldn't on the internet, whatever, you know, your struggle. Lord, I believe you forgave me for that sin, but I also believe you can give me your overcoming power and your righteousness. And I, I lay this at your feet. You're the Lord. I confess that you are Lord. Jesus is Lord of everything. And now I'm calling upon you. I'm formally asking you, Lord, to give me deliverance of this thing. And I think you're going to see victory in your life. And so make a li- just start making a list. This is what I want to be. These are the disciplines I want in my life. You know, maybe it's financial management. Maybe you're terrible with your money, you know. Okay, that's, that's an area of righteousness. You know, God shows us in his word we're to be good stewards. So the, the good news, though, is that this isn't like a heavy pressure thing. You know, like make a list and resolutions and start living up to it. You know, God's going to be mad at you if you don't. I mean, he's there to help us, guys, but you got to do it his way. And here's, here's the formula. Of course, it's repeated over and over through Romans, the whole emphasis of faith and dying with Christ, rising with him, walking in his resurrection power. But the heart believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Verse 11, for the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. Now, look at the end of chapter 9. Same thing. Whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. Why is that? put in there it almost seems a little bit out of place well it's certainly talking about faith whoever believes on him why would we be put to shame for believing well there's certainly um there was great opposition against christianity and this whole message of faith which you know paul kept addressing these earlier in in the book of Romans where um, he would be accused because he was teaching grace. He would be accused of, uh, oh, so you're just saying we can sin it up where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. So you're saying this whole, this new life of faith in Jesus and we don't have to be under the law anymore. That's just going to produce a bunch of, you know, sinning people. Paul, what are you talking about? So Paul is addressing these accusations and the, the, the shame that could be put on a believer to say, you know, that's just, you live by faith, by trusting God, really? You know, the world would come and say that to us. You know, like, are you serious? I mean, you just got to go out and make it happen, man. You, you've got to make your life happen. You determine your own destiny you know you you're number one you it's a dog eat dog world with you're living by faith you're trusting god you're praying about it and you're like don't be ashamed of that yes i am i've seen god answer many prayers i've seen god come through hundreds of times and i'm gonna go deeper and deeper into faith and uh, i i implore you to to get on board with me because you're the one who should be ashamed. You're living in self-reliance. So we, we should not ever be ashamed of living by this life of faith. 
it got you're not going to be God's not going to let you be embarrassed by it whoever believes on him me or believes on him will not be put to shame see the longer I walk with God the more I hear him calling me into a deeper place of faith and dependence on Christ for everything and um, God's saying you won't regret that I think that's another way to look at this you will not regret living that way I mean have you have you ever lived a day where you just say this day is all about Jesus and faith in Jesus and everything I'm just gonna cast at his feet as, as I go through the day have you ever tried that and you man there's a joy there's a power there's a peace and you know usually I'm a couple hours into it and I've, I've got you know I'm over here and the what happened you know come back you know Holy Spirit bring me back but living that kind of way where you're Lord Jesus your Lord I lay this at your feet I confess your Lord I believe you can take care of this problem I call upon you to take care of this problem Lord Jesus that's a life of faith and that seems foolish to the world but if you learn to do that in the little things you know you're having a conversation with your spouse it's getting kind of tense and you're you know you want to get in the flesh and you're like no Lord I just give this to you Jesus your Lord of my marriage your Lord of this conversation your Lord uh, I, I believe you can handle this Lord I call upon you just help you think that would make a, a difference in your marriage instead of you just oh, that's what I want to say listen to me I got a lot to say Man, that, I mean, this is the life of faith. Read it. Study it out. So verse 12, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon his name. So he's, he's again, he's talking to a Jewish audience and the Greeks and the Roman church. And he's trying to level set everybody saying there's nobody superior here. The Jews are not superior you know, they were blessed because they had the law and the covenant and all, all, all these things, the promises. But you know what? We're all sinners. There's no distinction. Nobody's better than anybody else. It, this works the same for everybody. The Lord, the same Lord overall. See, I'm casting everything at his feet for the same Lord overall. He's over everything in my life. And I'm believing he can take care of it. He's rich to those who call upon him. Isn't that beautiful? He's just, he just keeps reemphasizing the same truth. You, 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 you don't get it when he says it this way. Okay, let me say it a, a little different way. So you're a sinner. You're, nobody's better than anybody else. You come to Jesus who's Lord over everything in your life. And he'll just, you just call on him. He'll be rich to help you. He's rich to all who call upon his name. That seems too simple, just calling on his name. Yeah, you know, I was thinking of my little granddaughter. She's not here at all. So, you know, she'll, uh, she lives with us now, and, you know, sometimes she'll, uh, well, not sometimes, every night pretty much, she'll call out for someone to come and give her a bottle or, you know, mama or papa or nano, nano, she calls nano. 
um, Kiki, it's Kelly. Um, but, you know, I, I was kind of thinking about her the other day. Okay, she'll, she'll be in her crib. She wants something. You know, maybe she, you know, she's in this dark room at night, middle of the night, and she thinks about mommy. Oh, I need mommy. She knows mommy is faithful. Mommy will be there for her. And she calls upon mommy, right? Really loud. Yeah. And then mommy comes and meets her need. But think of it in those terms. Like in your heart, you know the Lord wants to come through for you. You know he's faithful. You know if you call upon him, he's going to help you based on his word. That's that's what we're talking about. The Lord the same Lord over all, he's over everything in your life. He's rich to all who call upon it, a call upon him. So I'm, I'm just encouraged, you know, to surrender things to him, to call upon him, to live in faith and quit, quit thinking thoughts that are not faith. Oh, I feel so far from God. When will I ever get close to God? When, you know, could I ever ascend to heaven no, he's already come down from heaven. He's already rose, gone to the cross, been buried. He's been risen, sent his Holy Spirit. Let's let our faith connect to that and start living as if that's true. And you're going to see more righteousness flowing into your life. You're going to see the sin that has overcome you be broken. Verse 13, for whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Let's pray.